hospice is actually where hospice services can be provided wherever you call home. It can be in your own home that you've lived in for the last 20 years. It can be in a a facility or a community. It can be really wherever a patient calls home. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is Kathy, founder of Rock Your Retirement. I started this show because many baby boomers think that retirement is all about money, and it's not. Think about it. It's very difficult to go from spending 2,000 or more hours a year doing something to zero. Sure, for the first six months, it's fun, but then many of us hit a wall. Many divorces can happen after retirement because the couple isn't used to spending so much time together. Depression can also set in, and we want to help prevent that, and that's why we started this show. Our guest for today is Jennifer Marsh. She is a community educator and outreach specialist for Hospice of the North Coast. She has over 10 years of creating, marketing, and sustaining thriving educational programs to the general community about serious illness, caregiving, and grief and loss issues. Jennifer has been published in the Touching Lives magazine and featured on KOCT-TV and Elder Care Talk Radio, providing insight and resources to those coping with a serious illness, caring for a loved one, and grieving. Jennifer also has been interviewed on the Seven Ponds blog as an expert in the field of mortality. The blog will be indicated in the show notes if you'd like to find it. Jennifer also has expertise in creating and implementing community outreach and fundraising events, including Breathe Deep San Diego. In 2013, she was named as a finalist for the San Diego Women Who Mean Business Awards through the San Diego Business Journal. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am honored that you have chosen to come on this show. And as you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about hospice. And so we wanted to talk about that today. So thank you so much. How did you get involved in the hospice community? Uh, that's actually a, a great question to get started. I, I had my own misconceptions about hospice. I was um, working as a counselor with children and decided to go back to school to get my um, master's degree. And in the middle of my master's program, I experienced my own loss um, and had a phenomenal professor who I credit to this day for uh, basically saving my life. I, I will tell people that uh, for as long as I walk this uh, planet. And mm-hmm. when it came time to get my hours, to obtain hours for my degree, he suggested that I do the same for uh, other people and try grief counseling and that I try um, working with people in hospice. And so I did, and I have been here ever since. And through a series of 
life events and just finding my voice and finding a passion. I stayed in the hospice field and just started working on educating the public and educating professionals on all things related to illness and end of life and grief and loss. So that's where I've been for the last 10 years. Wow. Well, I have to tell you, people who work in your industry, I have so much respect for because every single person that I have met who works in the hospice industry is just so caring and compassionate. You know, it. I don't know how you do what you do, but oh my gosh, it is such a needed thing that you do. And I don't know, just the people are so nice and so warm. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that a lot. And, and, you know, I, I tell people, I don't do the hands-on medical care like our nursing staff does or our, our chaplain staff or our social workers. Uh, They really deserve way more credit than, than I do. Um, I get to hear the stories uh, from, from the people that have utilized hospice services and, and are grateful for that. So I think I'm, I'm a little biased. I think I have the best job, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I agree with you 100%. The people that I met have um, the, the biggest hearts uh, and the best, um, the best souls of, of anyone. But again, I'm biased, been in the field for a really long time. So <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I think it takes a very special person to, to do what all of the clinical staff and all of the people in hospice really do. So yeah, it's everybody. Like I said, it's not just the people with the hands on experience. It is everybody I've ever met that has to do with hospice is just an amazing person. So Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, So tell me a little bit, you know, when I first started hearing about hospice, I thought, well, you know, it's you're in a hospital bed and basically you have extra people to come and help out. But that's not what it is, is it? There are so many uh, misconceptions about what hospice actually is. And it's it kind of stems from where it started and and how it started and and then sort of where it started in the states and and what it really is is a philosophy of care it's a a type of care that's provided to people who are really dealing with a serious illness whose prognosis for that serious illness is is measured in months um and not years it really is focusing on dignity and symptom management, comfort care, and really giving people the opportunity to live the best life that they have, no matter what that looks like, at at the end of their life. And it's quality of life, and so that they can live as fully as possible for as long as possible. But it really is a concept of care, not a place But that really stems from where it was started. And then when it came to the United States, it started on the East Coast and it was hooked to the hospital systems. And so it looked like a place, but it really is more focused on providing services wherever you call home. And that could be in your own home, in someone else's home, in a facility, wherever it is that you are the most comfortable. Well, where did it start before it came to the U.S.? Well, it started over in Europe, and it's interesting. 
the word hospice actually means a place to rest. And it was a place where you could stop on a long journey. And so you can see where the idea of a place gets started. And it it really, that was the idea of of it. It's much more uh, advanced in Europe and then made its way to the States and hooked itself to a hospital system. Wow. Do you know about when it started here? Oh, here it was in the, I believe in the 1970s, 19, and then um, made its way, 1960s, 1970s, and then slowly has made its way across the the um, states. So we started in California in, in the 70s. Wow. So it's really young. It Yes. Uh, the, the idea of it is fairly young. Wow, that I didn't realize that it was such a young field. In a lot of other areas, it's it's a lot older, but in some areas, uh, it's pretty young. Well, let's talk about some of the misconceptions of hospice. So, sure. first thing is that basically, if you start looking at hospice, it means there's no hope left. Yes. Is that true? Oh, no. No, I hear that all, all the time, is that hospice is what you pick when there's nothing left to do. And I, I heard a phenomenal physician say this once before, and, and she said that she is not a fan of hearing that because basically what you're saying is that all of us in the hospice field do nothing then. Mm. Right. <laughs> and if you think about it, we're all the do-nothing, do-nothingers, I suppose, Um but hospice really is is giving you back the power. It doesn't mean that you're giving up hope. It's just placing hope in a different place. Uh, you know, giving putting hope in a different place. And uh, if focusing on quality of life and a hope for a better way of living and living out as fully as you can. And so you're just kind of taking that hope that you have and just kind of reallocating it. So it maybe it's not hope for a cure, but it's hope for a, a bright tomorrow so that you can have a good day with your family and you can have good quality of life for however long you have left. You know, just today, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that her father passed away. Mm-hmm. And her father passed away. He needed some surgery on his leg. I don't know the the full story, but I'm guessing he had diabetes. Mm. And he didn't want to have that surgery. And Mm. so he didn't have the surgery. And today he passed away. Is that the type of choices that you're talking about where somebody says, you know what, I don't want to undergo these cancer treatments or I don't want to undergo all of that. I just want to live out the rest of my life in peace. Is that what you're talking about or are you talking about something else? It is. It is what we're talking about. You you know, there are moments where people reach a point in in a serious illness where modern medicine is not going to find a cure. And that's just sort of a, an honest truth. There are, are, are times that we have to have those conversations with people. Uh, and I'll give you a, a, an example from my own personal life. You mentioned at the opening of the show, Breathe Deep San Diego. And Breathe Deep San Diego is 
a charity that was launched in honor of my mom. So my mom was diagnosed with uh, cancer and as a hospice professional, I uh, tried a number of times to have a conversation with her oncologist. And I distinctly remember she was diagnosed with stage three lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember the first conversation that I attempted to have with her oncologist, where he uh, put his hand up um, almost in my face and said to me, we are not going to have a conversation about that. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus on hope. Mm. And, um, unfortunately for us, uh, my mother passed away 10 months later. I'm so sorry. And so I thank you. The point of, of the conversation, the point of this telling the story is that we need to have a conversation about all of our options, um, hospice care and palliative care are should be included so that people know what kind of options they have with the diseases that they might be diagnosed with. And having those options on the table doesn't mean that you're giving up any kind of uh, decisions or any kind of hope or any kind of choices. It's just knowing all of the education that you could potentially have. So wasn't there a movie about that very thing that you're talking about? I don't remember the name of it. Uh, you're talking about being mortal. Right. Yes. Dr. Togawandi uh, wrote a book, actually, and they took the book and turned it into a movie, um, a documentary, Frontline did. And uh, he actually, he wrote the book about his experiences uh, both with having a conversation, having a difficult conversation with his patients um, about treatments and how the treatments were probably not effective and having a conversation with his patients about how uh, they w- were terminal and that they were probably going to, to ch- have to choose a different path, choose hospice care or choose palliative care rather than uh, choosing aggressive treatments. And the opening scene, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. You can find it on Frontline. You can find it in a number of different places, or you can read the book. But the documentary is incredibly engaging. One of the opening uh, scenes and one of the opening uh, people that Dr. Gwandi speaks with is the husband of one of his own patients, a young woman who had been diagnosed with cancer. And she uh, continued to receive treatments. She uh, had just recently had a baby Mm. and she continued to receive treatments. And he admits as he's going through this, this process with the husband that he basically continued to treat her knowing that the treatments were not going to be effective on her with her cancer. Uh, and it's incredibly powerful to watch that that scene where he's admitting that he continued to treat despite knowing that that they were not going to be effective. You know, that is just breaks your heart. I cried when I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that doctors are kind of in a difficult place because they want to cure. You know, they want 
they want to do those heroic things that might, you know, they, they are probably watching Grey's Anatomy where, you know, against all odds, the person gets cured. That just doesn't happen in real life. I mean, none of us get out of this life alive. We all pass away. That's the one thing that, you know, they say that the only two things that are sure are death and taxes, but really, you know, I've heard of people evading taxes. So really to me, there's only one thing. (laughs) That is very true. Well, you know, the other thing I say to people is that most people don't have any education in this. We can't fault our medical community uh, for something that they have no education in. I received my master's degree in 2006, so it hasn't even been that long. And I had zero education in death and dying or grief and loss. So it's only been 10 years and we had zero classes in death and dying or grief and loss. And I had to actually go to hospice to get that education. And the medical communities don't have that. Medical schools didn't have that. They're starting to change that. There is uh, currently, I think, only two, two schools, as far as I know, that are offering a class in undergraduate studies on death and dying in Southern California, in this the San Diego area, that are offering any class whatsoever in death and dying. And so as you can see, if we are not educating our generations to go into the field to talk about death and dying. We can't quite ask them then to to say, all right, now you go in and have a conversation with someone about how they're potentially terminal or how how to how to be able to talk about this. So it can't really fault people for for not being able to have that conversation and then teach them cure, 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 this is your job is to cure this disease. So it's it's sort of a double-edged kind of a thing. Absolutely. So I'm glad that you've helped me put together this document that we're going to be giving away at the end of the show, the eight myths and facts of hospice. That leads us to the second myth, and that is, don't I have to go somewhere when I go into a hospice? I'm going to a facility, right? You do not. No. Hospice is actually where hospice services can be provided wherever you call home. It can be in your own home that you've lived in for the last 20 years. Uh, if you are moving in with a child or a grandchild, they, it can be there. Uh, it can be in a, a facility or a community. And there we are starting to call them communities now. Um, it can be in a community. It can be in an inpatient unit. Uh, Hospice in the North Coast has a six-bed inpatient unit for people um, who are dealing with symptoms that might be um, in need of round-the-clock nursing care, nursing supervision, I should say. It can be really wherever a patient calls home. Thank you for dispelling that. What about, let's say I have a doctor that I love and I come down with a, you know, something where I decided that I want hospice treatment. I'm going to have to give up that doctor, right? No, that's actually one of the biggest myths that we see on hospice. And you do not have to give up your own doctor. Our our medical directors, each hospice has their own uh, set of medical directors. But we are all willing, each individual hospice. Let me go and clarify. Right now, there are probably somewhere in the uppers of 40 to 50 different hospices in San Diego County, but 
we're all a little bit different. So that's why you'll hear me refer to it as the individual hospices. So I just want to clarify that as we're going along. But we all have our own different medical directors, but you can keep your own doctor. We have worked together to establish great working relationships with the physicians in the community. And we're constantly in communication with those physicians to make sure that the care is uh, of the highest quality. You can definitely choose one of our own medical directors if you think that that's something that you would rather do, but you can keep your your physician as well. Okay. And I'm going to go off topic a little bit, but let's say I'm in a Medicare Advantage plan. Do I have to stay in network? Uh, there is no such thing when it comes to... Uh, hospices. You can pick any hospice that you want. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so there's no such thing as in network when it comes to hospice. I can choose any of the 40 or 50 in San Diego, or if I live outside of San Diego, any hospice that services the area where I live or want to live. Correct. Awesome. Okay, good. Well, thank <laughs> you for clearing that up. And okay, so let's say that I have a disease and I've decided that, okay, I'm done and I want to prepare for the future. And so I'm going to call hospice and they'll come out and talk to me regardless of what stage I am in, right? That's right. So one of the things that I tell people is that you can never be too prepared. <laughs> Most of the time, People will wait to call hospice until there's a crisis. And no matter who you are, <laughs> no matter what you do, the, you will never make the greatest decision of your life in the middle of a crisis. And I'm going to refer back, I, I do this quite a bit, so to my own personal experience. So in the 10 months that I told you uh, with my mom, I was at work one day and I received a phone call that my mom had gone into respiratory distress and that I needed to come home. So I've been in this field. This is what I do. I educate other people. That's my whole job. Um, and they said, you know, you're going to have to come home. Uh, you're, you, we're going to have to make a decision. So I immediately got on a plane. Uh, my entire family is in Cleveland and I'm here in California Immediately got on a plane and for six hours, it's a six hour flight between San Diego and Cleveland with the layover, knew what I was going to have to do. My mom and I had had these conversations because you know, I'm the hospice daughter and the educator knew what I was going to have to do. And I got off the plane in Cleveland and ran, <laughs> ran into the ICU and as soon as I got into her room in ICU, I took one look at her and said, I don't care what she wants. She's my mom. And I tell people that story because I want them to understand that it doesn't matter how much education you have or what you do for a living. You cannot predict what you're going to do in the middle of a crisis until you're actually in the middle of a crisis. So I, I'm a hospice educator. This is what I do for a living. And I still wasn't able to make that decision until it took me. I, I was the daughter as soon as I ran into that uh, ICU. Right. So it took me, I mean, we did, I did eventually make the decision to honor her wishes, obviously, but 
it's just one of those things where you just don't know how you're going to be in a crisis. And so when it comes to hospice and when it comes to caring for someone that you love, having that information before you honestly need it, before you're in the middle of a crisis, is the best thing you could possibly do. And the hospices, the good hospices, the ones that you want in your world, caring for the people that you have around you are the ones that are going to come out and they're going to meet with you and they're going to give you the information that you need, regardless of whether you are going to be able to sign a piece of paper that day, uh, whether you meet criteria or not. Uh, Those are the ones that are going to be able to come out or those are the ones that are going to do it for sure. Okay. Well, I'm really not going to need hospice unless I'm taking a bunch of drugs, right? No. <laughs> well, that's an interesting way of putting it. I've never actually had anybody say that, but that one, that one for me. Wow. Okay. No. <laughs> I like to say it, say it in direct English, you know, that so was, that... that's an, in, I've never had anyone actually say it to that, that way before. Um, no, it's it really focused on the quality of life and uh, just working with the patient and their family so that you're supporting everyone to meet not just the medical needs, um, if if a person does need pain medication, but also to do the psychosocial and the spiritual needs. So there's a case manager, the nurse case manager, that is part of that team, but also a social worker, a chaplain. In our case, we call them care advocates, home health aides that can help with things like bathing and then our physicians, but there's also so many other things. There are volunteers that can come out that can help just get caregivers out of the house, but they can also do things like pet therapy or uh, music therapy, a lot of those psychosocial kinds of things for family members, but also for the patients. It really is to improve quality of life for someone that might be at the end of their life's journey. That's great. So tell me what some of these alternative therapies look like, like your pet therapy or your music therapy. What do they do? Oh, so I love pet therapy. That's probably my favorite one. The pet therapy is the opportunity to have a dog or a cat, or I've even seen mini horses, which is probably <laughs> that is the, awesome. Yeah, one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Come out to a home or to a facility and give people the opportunity to kind of interact with uh, patients. And um, the pet therapy is great because they're especially trained to jump in laps or to just kind of snuggle up next to a patient and let them do, let them give them the opportunity to pet them. But then there's also things like music therapy. And in my 10 years, I have witnessed there was a patient in a facility in Escondido that uh, was nonverbal and they were not sure what they could potentially do for her. It got to the point where she was really just kind of sitting in a chair and someone decided to just play some music from an iPod. So we loaded some music from when she probably would have been, I think, in her 20s onto an iPod and then had like a docking station at the time. And 
just hit play on the iPod. And I was there. I was actually there that day, surprisingly, and got to witness her start to mouth the words. Oh so my was, gosh, that is awesome. Who hadn't spoken a word and I, I can't even, I don't even know how long. So she wasn't actually speaking, but she was mouthing the words. And I, I just, it's amazing to me, the power of music. So things like pet therapy, music therapy, there's healing touch. We're running a yoga grief support. So all sorts of different kinds of things that are available that people don't know about. They just think there's just this hospice. It's just this nurse and they hand you pain medication or they hand you morphine. That's the big one. Yeah, It's just morphine, but there are so many other things and the care advocates, the chaplains can come out and do just so much with life review. What is life review? So life review is really the opportunity to kind of go through and and tell your story. I mean, everybody really kind of wants to do, to leave a legacy. And so you have the opportunity to kind of go through that with um, the social workers and the care advocates and, and sort of get that story written down and leave that story for, for all of your family members. That is really cool. You know, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about the music therapy is just think 50 mm-hmm. or 60 years from now, people are going to be listening to Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> and que- and questioning us every single day. <laughs> Sorry. I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that leaves us to my next question. And that is, if I decide that I want to go into hospice, I can't really change my mind, can I? Oh, yes, you can. You can fire your hospice. You can, uh, you have the power. And I tell, I tell people, you know, you are always the one in control. You can um, come off of hospice. You can discharge yourself. You can ask to be discharged. Um, you actually may be discharged if you do not meet the criteria. I've seen people graduate from hospice. People think that the only thing that that actually will happen is that they're going to die. But I've seen people that actually graduate from hospice. They stabilize. And so they may have to actually uh, graduate. And so uh, you can be discharged. You can seek different treatments or you can find a different hospice. Sometimes the feel is not the right fit. Sometimes it's just not the right fit. And and that's okay, I think, because when you're dealing with something as intimate as the end of life for someone that you love, you want to get it right because you don't want to live with that for the rest of your life. You want to make sure that that's the right fit. And there are enough hospices to go around. That makes total sense. I mean, if the whole idea for hospice is to make you comfortable and enjoying the last, you know, remaining days of your life, if you don't fit with that hospice, it makes total sense that you would be able to choose a different one or leave all together if that's what you want to do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, sometimes, like I said, sometimes it just doesn't fit. In some of my presentations, and it's a very interesting uh, analysis, and I know that, and I'm fully aware, but I do it anyway. It's sort of like the fast food industry. We all provide the same service, food, 
if you think about it this way. <laughs> but we're all a little bit different and everybody has their favorite. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Why would you continue to eat at Carl's Jr. if you don't like Carl's Jr.? <laughs> you wouldn't. No no offense to the Carl's Jr. people. Please don't boycott, please don't boycott me. But you would go somewhere else. It's like me. I don't like Pepsi, but I like Coke. When it comes to something like the care for someone at the end of their life, you really, you want to make sure that you're, you're doing it the right way and you're getting it right. And so if it's not the right fit, fire them. But I will say, uh, ask around because most people that you know have had a hospice experience. They just might not talk about it. And so they'll, they'll be happy to tell you once you start asking, uh, it's amazing to me how many people want to have a conversation with me about end of life when they know that I'm comfortable having it. My friends say that I'm the life of the party because I talk about death all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but they also know that they can talk to me about it anytime. And I'm I'm willing to have that conversation anytime. And so when people know that that you are okay having having a conversation about it, they're they're willing to open open up. And so if you ask around, you'll get honest opinions from people who have, have had good experiences or bad experiences. And don't just ask one, keep asking and, and then interview, interview your hospice. But you can only do that if you start asking early and you start getting the information early. That makes total sense. And one of the things that you said sort of dispels a myth that I have, and that is, you know what, I don't want to go into hospice. I don't want to talk about hospice because if I go into hospice, that means I'm going to die. Well, we're all... Right. We're all going to die sometimes. But you said earlier, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but that's not the only outcome of hospice. So do you want to address that a little bit more? Sure, sure, sure. I think earlier I said that I've seen people graduate. Right, graduate. Um, people have actually been discharged from hospice care and, and readmitted um, if necessary. Uh, but what happens is that people stabilize with their medical conditions. Their medical conditions actually stabilize. And so we've seen that. Um, I've seen that more times than I can even count. And uh, sometimes that happens with things like dementias or any of the um, cognitive impairment diseases. But a lot of times I've also seen it with cancers when people stop aggressive treatments. And so the hospices are very good at helping people become comfortable and getting symptoms under control. And, uh, and that can actually uh, help people live longer. There are uh, research studies out there that have shown that hospice can actually help people live longer, which goes against what everybody thinks. So you can just Google that uh, right. <laughs> or go to the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization's website but it goes against what everybody thinks. They think, well, hospice just, it, that just means I'm going to die. But it actually helps people live longer than, obviously, than aggressive treatment. You know, it actually makes a lot of sense to me, Jennifer, because when you're undergoing some of those aggressive treatments, your body's under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by removing that stress, it does make complete sense to me that you, that's not everybody, obviously, but that some people would make a, a recovery. Sure. And and like I said, the hospices are very, very good at helping people get comfortable and be comfortable and getting pain under control and getting symptoms under control. Again, not everyone. It's not a be all end all for everyone. 
um, but uh, it, they are very good at, at, at doing that most people. Jennifer, what happens after, you know, the person passes away? Then what happens? Sure. Medicare actually requires that bereavement support be provided to families for 13 months. But that is, that's exactly how they phrase that. <laughs> they do not specify how you do it. And, and it's not a reimbursable expense. So that means that each hospice is a little bit different on how they do that. And that's something that you probably want to ask as well when you're choosing your hospice. And so if you know that you really benefit from things like individual counseling or group counseling, and you think that that might be something that you might need, that would be a question that you want to ask your hospice. Do you have these services uh, available, or you can just call the hospices in the area. Most of them will offer those services regardless of whether you have a hospice affiliation. Uh, all hospices are required to provide grief support to families for 13 months after a patient has died. That's interesting. I did not know that. It's also interesting that it's required, but you don't get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they say that it's wrapped up into the whole continuum of care, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny the way our medical system works. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, uh, you know, because of all of that, it looks a little bit different in every hospice. And so, again, that's just something to keep in mind. A plug for the National Hospice uh, is that if you go to their website, hospicenorthcoast.org, and then uh, backslash event. Wonderful. Okay, great. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention before we wave goodbye? I just want to say thank you very much for having me on this phenomenal podcast. <laughs> and my last thing is, please, please, please interview your hospices. Just go out and make a phone call. You can always call me. I'm happy to answer any questions, no matter what they are. If I don't know the answer, I'll try to find the person who does. And how can they reach you personally? My work number is 760-431-4100. Great. Perfect. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for my listeners, all the things that we talked about today, those eight myths and facts about hospice can be found on the show at rockyourretirement.com slash hospice myths. Myth is spelled M-Y-T-H-S. So you can get that information just go by going to the website and getting that freebie today. And for the rest of you, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 
can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support. And it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.